Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are continuing on in our Synod 2022 series that we are doing as we uh, lead up to Synod. We have now less than a week before I will be flying out and (laughs) uh, joining up with all the other delegates in Grand Rapids to have a monumental Synod, uh, not just monumental uh, because of the content that we'll be discussing of course that will be really uh, important but also monumental in the fact that it's just been three years yeah. since we've had our last synod which was in 2019 and so uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, what may be going on at synod and what may be the objections particularly to the HSR these conversations we've been having over the past few weeks have been uh, really focused on the HSR. There are other, are other things on the docket, believe it or not, uh, that will mm-hmm. be discussed. Some really big things, <laughs> yeah. actually, yeah. particularly with what's going on in Canada and the, the binationality of our denomination. That'll be another big issue. Maybe we can talk about that next week in next week's episode mm. if we do get around to making one. No promises. <laughs> it will be a long week. Yeah. So we'll have to see if we can uh, get it worked out. But our aim here is to... Maybe, I don't know, project what might happen next week. And so we want to look at the objections that can be considered or anticipated to the human sexuality report. Um, And so we want to consider them. We want to think through them. We don't know how things will go, but we want to try to familiarize ourselves and really equip anyone else who is going to Synod, uh, any other delegates. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're listening to this and you're going to Synod, we hope that this is a help to you as you think through the various objections that might be raised and already have been raised in the overtures to the human sexuality report. But even if you're not going to Synod, which is probably the vast majority of our listenership, we think that these various objections will be helpful for you in thinking through this uh, this whole this issue of sexuality. And it can help you be better equipped to respond to objections, not just denominational objections that you may find, uh, but really to objections that people on the streets or in your churches uh, may may have to what we might call the traditional view of human sexuality. And so we really hope to equip you uh, throughout this this episode, which might be a little bit on the longer side. Yeah, we um, maybe we could start just by summarizing the Human Sexuality Report. It's really difficult to do. It's 170 pages, but... Um, Overall, both Pastor Zach and I regard the Human Sexuality Report as a good report that faithfully teaches um, what the Bible says concerning many different matters of sexuality. Yeah, Um, it's not just about same-sex attraction. Yeah, and so it it includes um, teaching on some teaching on transgender ideologies, um, teaching on pornography, teaching on polyamory and polygamy. 
Even um, intersex, being yep. born intersex. Yeah, and um, uh, cohabitation, divorce. Um, it, yeah. I think the, the full title has something to do with a foundation-laying theology of... Biblical theology. Uh, of, yeah, of, yeah, of human sexuality. And yeah. so, um, again, it's a, it's a significant report. It, is, it holds to what maybe with shorthand could be called the traditional, um, mm-hmm. we would say, orthodox... Um, biblical perspective on human sexuality. Now, I know already if somebody is listening and is opposed to the Human Sexuality Report, um, they would bristle at our labeling here of of calling that the orthodox position. But um, but this is the yeah. traditionally held um, position of the church throughout the ages um, mm-hmm. regarding uh, basically each of these different matters. Now. Uh, there are going to be some differences of opinion, of, of course, regarding divorce, say, between Roman Catholic theology mm. and Protestant, uh, particularly Reformed theology. But o- overall, this is the teaching of the Church throughout the ages. Um, mm-hmm. And and the, the report goes to great lengths to, to, to build its foundation on that. Um, I think yeah. that... Um, one of the issues that we'll see uh, in some of these objections to the Human Sexuality Report um, are that so often it is the case that uh, somebody objecting to it kind of imagines that this issue comes to us in a vacuum. And so um, I, I preach about this a lot more lately because I think this is a um, subconscious um, but a very prevalent um, response to any moral issue today. And so, for example, right now we have the issue of gun control. And yeah. so um, these terrible shootings happen in Texas and Oklahoma. And um, it's almost as if a an event happens and then I need to make up my mind about what I believe about that mm-hmm. in a vacuum. Like mm-hmm. this terrible thing has just happened. And so how am I going to respond to that? I need to make up my mind about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so that's what's happening for some people with sexual ethics. Okay, um, my friend from my rec soccer team just told me that they're homosexual. I've got to make up my mind yeah. what I think about that. Yeah, so um, we, you may have particular leanings before yeah. that moment, before you make it that friend. Yeah. But then at that point you realize this is sort of a crossroads and there's a fork in the road here and I need to figure out which way I'm going to go. Right, or my family member. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden now this is something that's happening in my family and now I've got to make up my mind. Mm-hmm. Essentially, uh, in a very individualistic, evangelical American way, yep. in, in, a, in my own little world, in my own little thoughts, I've got to decide what I think. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're going to see throughout a lot of this that there is a great cloud of witnesses on this, yeah. this matter and, and many others, of course, throughout church history and one of the errors that I think our spiritual enemy, the devil, um, tempts us towards is isolating us to think, I've got to decide what just I think about this. I kind of go with my gut, essentially, is what that ends up being. Yeah. And um, instead of saying, what has the church taught? Mm-hmm. Certainly, what does the Bible teach? What does Reformed doctrine mm-hmm. guide me towards? And... Um, throughout the Human Sexuality Report and I think throughout conversations on this, when you look at the teaching of the Reformed Church, uh, the historic Catholic Church, 
the, the scriptures. It's with what the HSR calls a, a compelling, convincing voice that, mm-hmm. um, particularly as we talk about it today, human or same-sex activity is sin. Yeah, I think it really betrays the fact that a lot of us, even in the CRC, but broader than just the CRC, have what we might be able to call a sort of me and Jesus approach to yeah. to theology. And so whenever a certain issue like this comes up and you have to take a side, it's up for you to be the ultimate arbitrator. Or you read some books and right, you, yeah. know, you sort of want to make up your but mind. You read the books yep. that you want. You're not right. really beholden yep. to anybody uh, or anything. Um, this is sort of the, you could say, revivalistic way of <laughs> reading scripture. <laughs> yeah, it's very charismatic uh, in that way. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so there's an issue there, and the issue Protestants and of course Catholics or Orthodox would would bring up in this whole thing is that we're not we don't exist in that vacuum, uh, but there are actually deep resources that already exist in the Christian tradition, uh, particularly Scripture. Uh, but yeah, and and they're not oh. just there for us to consider. They're they're there for us to believe. Yeah, unless there is a better biblical, um, yep. uh, you know. Uh, ethic presented to us and that's yeah. the the default I guess that's maybe where we want to start start yeah, is yeah. saying the default Christian response to any ethical issue is right away what does the Bible say yep and then the default after that is what does the church say what does yep. church history say about yeah. this and, and and not the default is my cousin came out of the closet mm-hmm. um, you know, opened up about their identity and, and, and who they love. What do I think about that? Yeah. You, you know, like I think that so often is the default for particularly many Western people. And I think that that's a big factor in mm-hmm. um, this ideology spreading so quickly through Europe and, mm-hmm. um, and, and the West where more communal um, communities, uh, it, it has not spread nearly as quickly, say, through Africa and Asia yeah. um, in that way. So that's an interesting uh, that's a bit of a sociological observation, I guess. But, but in, in a lot, some of those other cultures, the default is what does the family or history inform for me yeah. here instead of just how, how do I think this should go? Yeah, it's that sort of post-enlightenment, tabula yeah. rasa sort of way of looking at things that my mind is a blank slate. And everybody just has their opinions, and I just have my opinion, and that's the best we can do uh, without really believing that there is such a thing as truth. Uh, and we don't even read God's word a lot anymore, believing that it is truth. We believe that uh, we can just sort of make of it what we want. And so, yeah, we could spend a yeah. lot of time talking about the authority yeah, so, of Scripture. But, <laughs> but there, there are several overtures that, that we can even look at. As, we're not just going to be um, picking possible... Uh, counter arguments to the HSR out of the sky. I mean, we have overtures to synod that oppose yeah. the HSR, and we can respond to um, some of those. Uh, of course, this isn't binding to Zach as he gets ready to go to synod. He perhaps could be persuaded at synod of some of the these overtures, but um, we're going to, I guess, just talk openly about how we would respond to them. Yeah, today. we could. Let's start then, Mark, with with the overtures. Um, a lot of these uh, approaches we've come up with, uh, 17 I think I counted, uh, different, uh, you could say, critiques of the Human Sexuality Report. Uh, there's probably more that could be thought <laughs> yeah, of. Yeah. Uh, 
but there's lots of different angles on how people are wanting to sort of, you could say, kick the legs out from underneath this report. Um, but we could start with the overtures. And one of the main yep. themes that we see in the overtures uh, is a rejection of what is called Recommendation D. Recommendation yep. D comes at the very end of the report as the report begins to give uh, give recommendations for how the denomination should act, how synods should vote, mm-hmm. um, regard or given and in light of all that the report says, all the, the positions that the report takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, as we've said, the report takes a basically and a broadly traditionalist take on human sexuality. Um, and so recommendation D is simply that the position uh, taken in the report on all these different issues should be seen as having already uh, confessional status, mm-hmm. meaning that if we accept the report, uh, we recognize then that th- the positions of the report, the traditional position, has the same is on the same status as our confessions because the report argues that it's actually taught by our confessions, particularly by the Heidelberg Catechism when it talks about sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. And so if that was the case, if this report is accepted as a conf- as confessional status, we could begin t- to enact church discipline, per- perhaps, on uh, ministers and officers of the church who act uh, out of step with mm-hmm. the teachings of the church. And so if you're a pastor and you have, you're wanting to conduct same-sex weddings and you did one, uh, that would bring you under church discipline. Or if you were a pastor who was beginning to teach a series on sexuality and you wanted to teach about the goodness of homosexuality, that would bring you under church discipline. And so mm-hmm. this is a pretty serious recommendation. It basically makes the report actionable, you could say. Yeah. And so one of the main overtures that we've, we can see in the agenda, and if you have the agenda and you can find it online, mm-hmm. you can read it for yourselves, uh, is that a lot of classes are trying to re- to basically remove recommendation D and not recognize the report's position as having confessional status. Yeah, and um, I could just read from page 146 of the HSR where, where this is established. It says yeah. on page 146, we conclude then that the church's teaching against sexual immorality, including homosexual sex, already has confessional status. According to our confessions, the church may never approve or even tolerate any form of sexual immorality, including pornography, polyamory, premarital sex, extramarital sex, adultery, or homosexual sex. On the contrary, the church must warn its members that those who refuse to repent of these sins, as well as of idolatry, greed, and other such sins, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It must discipline those who refuse to repent of such sins for the sake of their souls." So that's page 146 of the actual report, and um, just as Zach said, uh, we have several overtures con- contesting that particular point. Yeah. Um, they want to receive the report as pastoral guidance or pastoral advice, um, which is a, kind of a denigration to pastoral advice, I suppose, <laughs> that um, a- as if you could go to church and... Um, the sermon um, w- by the pastor is regarded as pastoral guidance or pastoral advice. Yeah, and take that, it or leave it. Yeah, that, that, yeah that thing that, that he said about idolatry, I don't really have to listen to, I guess, because that's just pastoral advice. But mm-hmm. um, 
but that is the um, the way out of, quite frankly, accountability that some congregations have used already in um, moving outside of a biblical perspective on on this matter. So again, I know that that was a, a flagrant thing that I just said, but mm-hmm. um, but that is at least the the tactic that has been used um, already in. in this is already the position of the Christian Reformed Church, mm-hmm. and um, and and so the establishment of it officially as confessional is is what has caused many people to, to get upset. Now, one way that this happens in one of the overtures is is by saying, "But we have people with differing opinions and views on this in our church, and so yeah. to make it confessional will be to bind their consciences." And to not allow f- to to sort of fracture the unity that mm-hmm. we have in our church, um, despite our disagreements about this issue, um, th- that's I think quite common, probably across a lot of the overtures against the adoption of our um, recommendation D. What would your response be to that, Zach? Any thoughts? Yeah, the issue is that the. <laughs> Just because there's varying opinions doesn't mean that these varying opinions are valid and legitimate, biblically uh, speaking. Um, we could have all sorts of varying opinions. Somebody in, in a church uh, may still hold to kinism, which is a belief that was rejected as heresy a few synods ago. Was I believe, was that 2019? Was that the last synod we had? Yeah, Where, yeah. And so kinism is this idea you're not allowed to intermarry. Racial intermarriage is... Yeah. It's a form of, of racism, yeah, and it was being taught by one particular pastor that I'm aware of. Maybe yeah. there's more, but I think one pastor of the CRC, and now he has been removed. Um, I think they left before it officially became a heresy. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's gone. He's out of the and CRC so the church. Yeah, uh, and that position has been condemned as heresy. And so just because there were people who held to the view of kinism, should we have said, well, you know, there's disagreement, and so we we shouldn't bind anybody's consciences. No, we should have absolutely taken action Mm -hmm. uh, because it was genuinely wrong. And so in the same way, just because there's varying opinions on things, it does not mean we cannot speak to them. In fact, it actually gives us all the more reason to... To speak to them it gives us with greater clarity with greater clarity yeah. and with greater force you could say not because we want to be jerks and we want to go over the top and just uh, do flagrant things to offend people but if false teaching is is coming into a congregation or to a a, a larger you could say church or denomination uh, something absolutely needs to be done you, you wouldn't ever see paul or peter or Jude, any of the apostles, or the writers of the New Testament, uh, you don't see them really uh, taking a peaceful position towards false teaching. There is a radical, uh, we need to root this out, Mm -hmm. and we need to respond to this very, very clearly, concisely, compassionately, but truthfully. Uh, And so just because people hold different opinions doesn't mean that we should... uh, try to come up with the lowest common denominator way of approaching it and try to all hold hands, which isn't really another big argument in this whole thing mm-hmm. is that we should try to keep the church's unity. Yeah, uh, It's tough. I, I'm, I'm one who is really, I'm a fan of church unity. Yeah. I, I really, I love um, ecumenism, the idea of Christians working together, striving together to, 
to help one another, to debate things, to see where and if they can have genuine unity over certain things. But when we start to deny the teachings of Scripture, uh, particularly the ethical teachings of Scripture, uh, we begin to to say that your life, the way in which you live, does not matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's clearly not what Scripture says. The Scripture teaches us the gospel of grace and says because of this you can live in a new way. And so to deny that we can live in a new way is to deny the the truth of grace, mm. uh, the reality of grace. Yeah, and um, yeah, just to use an example of something that's happened in our church recently. So um, I, I'm sure that there are many people, myself included at times, who would idolat- who would turn politics into an idol, um, who would fall into that trap of political idolatry, um, getting too focused on um, understanding politics, almost thinking as though if I could do that, then the problems of this world could really be solved. I know that it's a popular idol, certainly, mm-hmm. in conservative churches, a very popular idol in left-leaning churches, theologically speaking. And so um, there are a lot of people who are patriotic, but then there are going to be those who take it too far and turn that into an idol, turn America or my political views into an idol. And so I I had just said in in a sermon recently, um, the mature Christian can tell the difference between patriotism and nationalism or idolatry. Um, Now, again, we have people in our church who were maybe kind of upset by that. I mean, and I said very clearly in the sermon, America does not have a special status that is above any other nation in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we can say we're glad that we're a prosperous nation. We're glad that we, uh, about our history, um, yeah. certainly there are many sins in the history of, of America that we need to reckon with and, and, and yeah. recognize um, but we can say we're glad to be Americans. We can be patriotic. It's a good thing. Yeah. Let's be loyal to uh, to our nation and be glad that we were born here. But to go this, the next step, which some people are, I'm sure, doing in our congregation, and say America's a special nation in God's yeah. kingdom, that is idolatry. Now, um, to use the, the counter-argument to the HSR, well, but yeah, some people think that in our church, and and they they hold that dearly too. This they, is they not, could have even scriptural positions for it or reasons for it that they yeah. come up with. Yeah, this is not a lightly held position. It's a conviction. Yeah, but it's wrong. It's a wrong conviction yeah. that people in our church will have. And again, I have no particular person in mind as I say that, but I'm sure it's there. And mm-hmm. so I need to talk about that from a. A biblical perspective the yeah. fact that there is differing opinion means essentially nothing um, in terms of the value of those opinions yeah it doesn't mean that there's the truth is any less true right and that truth is any less attainable or any less desirable and so that would be one I would say illegitimate way of trying to what we might say is defang the beast, defang <laughs> the beast. Recommendation D. Yeah. Um, the beast. Another one I've seen here on this point with recommendation D is that recommendation D argues or, or is based on the belief that it's already confessional, uh, and so 
like I said, it goes back to the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism does not mention anywhere in it the actual word homosexuality or any of the cognates of homosexuality. Uh, but it does mention very clearly sexual immorality. And so some people may say, well, that therefore being uh, against homosexual activity is not already confessional because it's not in there. It's just literally not in there. Mm-hmm. Uh Whereas you could say the traditionalists have basically been arguing that, well, if you go and read Ursinus's commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, he very clearly mentions as one of the sins of sexual immorality, among other things, homosexuality. Uh, and so therefore, one of the authors of the, of the Heidelberg Catechism uh, himself believes that sexual immorality includes homosexuality. And that so was therefore, his intent in using those words. Right. Yeah. And so we can see it's sort of like, this is how a lot of constitutionalism gets debated between yeah. judges, right? Sure. Uh, what did the original authors of the Constitution mean, <laughs> or is it a living document that we interpret freely today? It's very uh, similar to, yeah. to that. There's yeah, parallels. So the Federalist Papers would be essentially the <laughs> right. the the Ursinus commentary, right? They tell yeah. of the the intention of yeah. the Third Amendment and so from forth. the yeah. author from himself. the author, and so it's yeah. really. Uh, a similar thing. So one argument in one of the overtures basically say says, well, uh, Ursinus also in his commentary uh, expands on different political positions that have to do with magistrates and kings. And mm-hmm. obviously we've rejected that sort of stuff. So it's in his commentary is not what is confessional. It's yeah. the catechism that's confessional. And so I, I would say that that's a thoughtful argument. Uh, and, you know, I don't have a full-orbed response to it, I'll, I'll admit. But I, I, I do think that it is a little bit wrong-headed. Just, I get the sense that he, what he clearly means then by sexual immorality, uh, when he writes that in the, the catechism, you can almost do a p- plug-and-play sort of thing. Well, what does this mean? What does he yeah. mean by this? What's the context? Okay, the commentary gives me... Very, very clear context. I think he also mentions things like bestiality, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So he, he he goes into what what he clearly means by this. Uh, whereas the political positions that he takes um, would require more reasoning. They would require more more uh, more nuance. And so, and also, I might say, well, well, why don't we reconsider what the reformers said said about uh, magistrates and and statecraft and uh, how we think about um, governments and how governments should be ordered and what the aim of governments are. Uh, I'm not always entirely convinced that uh, the American system of government is necessarily the best system of government. Um, I'd be willing to hear the reformers out a little bit more and see like, hey, maybe we've mm-hmm. we've lost something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't want to reject their wisdom, mm-hmm. but I, I do think it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges. And that's something I'll, I'll have to do more thinking of in the next yeah. week and, and, and getting to in my own mind. Uh, but I, I, I don't think that there's no way to respond to that, that's for sure. Yeah, well, and, and you would say that is the interpretation, certainly, that our sinus had of those words. And unless proven otherwise, it's the interpretation that we should have of those. Yeah. And, and so I think this gets to an important issue where um, it can sound like uh, supporting the human sexuality report is an aversion to change. Mm-hmm. And it can sound like, well, look at how 
Ursinus intended the word and and we should just keep it that way forever mm-hmm. and never change. I, I would suggest unless there is a a biblical, good biblical theological argument to be made. Otherwise, we do want to keep it uh, yeah. the rule of faith. This this has been called throughout yeah, um, throughout point. church history. The rule of faith asks how has this been understood by the generation previous, and unless we can see otherwise according to scripture, we should interpret it in that way too. We should go that direction as well. I mean, you have this yeah. in all kinds of theological arenas, um, mm. even with something like the Trinity. Um, you have the rule of faith that says, mm-hmm. let's trace it all the way back. And do we have the word Trinity in the Bible? No, we don't. But we have Matthew 28. We have um, 1 Peter 1. We have different um, greetings that the Apostle Paul uses that that put yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Um, and so the the way that that has been interpreted throughout all church history is a Trinitarian greeting or a Trinitarian baptism and yeah. so forth. Um, and where Joseph Smith or um, other false teachers come in and they, they don't ask that rule of faith question, that, that's where they get into all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is a similar issue, I would say, is unless there is a biblical um, case to be made, like there was for the abolition of slavery, um, then we'll, we will interpret things like yeah. our forefathers. Yeah, and this whole issue of sexual immorality is something that all Christians throughout all time and all places have held to quite consistently. Yep. Whereas Christian views of how of how government should be structured, yeah, have differed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some similarities, of course, and some some generalities that are true. Uh, but there's different perspectives on how like how Christians should relate to their governments and how governments should even ideally be designed. Yep. And so. I don't know. There's more thinking that could be done. I think it's a good historical argument in the sense that actually it's it has some weight to it. Yeah. Uh, but maybe I could jump in one more on recommendation D because oh, sure. we should maybe we should move uh, we should move on along. But <laughs> I, but I think this whole matter of confessional status, um, I think that there are a lot of times uh, the two sides talk past one another when we're even talking about confessional status um Hmm. so for example that means so much to us at this church that i've preached through the catechism and the belgic confession all the way through in our church i've I've been here for about six years Mm -hmm. and preached through those in we catechize our youth um the confessions matter immensely i've preached i haven't preached through the canons of dort but i've done a series on the five points of calvinism and so essentially that was preaching on the the materials them the, quite a bit I do remember that and so um, we use the word election in our church uh, we use we talk about heaven and hell because mm-hmm. that is a confessional matter in our church yeah and so we are, we are trying here at Emmon Valley to align our teaching to the, the the confessions and I believe what the confessions teach um, from yeah. cover to cover from front to back I love them and I teach them now, yeah. um, that is different than what happens in many Christian Reformed churches. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say that those churches are bad for not doing that, but I, I personally was raised in a church that uh, did not really elevate the confessions as mm-hmm. something that was 
we were catechized at my church, but that was about the extent of our confessional identity. Yeah. Um, and, and going even beyond that, I know that there are ministers who say, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the confessions say this, but I don't, I don't really, I mean, come on, I don't really think yeah. that. Uh, I mean, it's just too cold and too harsh. Those cannons of yeah, Dort yeah. are too cold, you know. I've heard <laughs> ministers say that. And, and that always surprises me. And so um, that, that attitude towards what it means even to be confessional is going to be very loose, I would mm-hmm. say, in many Christian Reformed churches, um, often secretly held by many Christian Reformed ministers. So mm-hmm. to say, that's not just an accusation, a wild speculation, but this is how some ministers have talked to me. Oh, we don't really believe, I mean, I don't really believe that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so um, now that this issue is coming up and we're saying, you must hold to this view to be a Christian Reformed Church minister mm-hmm. in good standing. All of a sudden, it's whoa, whoa, whoa! You know, hey, yeah. I, I was allowed a lot of room in all kinds of other areas, and so how how dare you mm-hmm. draw this clear and bold line for me if I'm going to remain a minister in the CRC? So there's been an operation for a certain amount of time. Um, I don't know exactly how long for of I would say looseness. Yeah. Um, in the in the Christian Reformed Church, you pass your ordination exam, and we don't do a very good job of saying ten years down the road, thirty years down the road. Do you believe in the yeah. the doctrines of grace? Do you yeah. believe in um, hell uh, as being a real thing? Do you believe in penal substitutionary atonement still? Mm-hmm. Um, and and seeing which that which is as, another issue on the docket for it is twenty two penal and, substitutionary atonement. What is the gospel even? Yeah. Um. And and asking those questions of ministers who have served for thirty years that doesn't really happen in the CRC. Mm-hmm. And so this is like jumping into cold water all of a sudden for yeah. guys who have operated. With and women, I suppose too, uh, with a very loose understanding of what confessionalism means. So I think that that's underneath the surface very much of this conversation about confessionalism. Yeah, I think that is too. It feels like things are being sort of uh, tightened up. Yeah, uh, yeah, restrictions are being tightened up, and this makes it feel perhaps uncomfortable um, for some. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that that like in judgment over them, but. Just in saying, like I, I can sort of see the anxieties for people that this might all create, um, and so yeah, it's a, it's a good thing to recognize. I think we've we have spent a lot yeah. of time on yeah. article or recommendation D, um, and we do have a lot of other things. <laughs> I wonder if maybe we could just sort of fly through them pretty yeah. quickly. Um, lightning round. It would be like a lightning round. <laughs> it will just feel like bullet points. Yeah. It will feel like Paul's ethical vision portrayed in Romans 12, yeah. where he just gives us a lot of quick little pithy right. statements. Or at the end of First um, Thessalonians, just do this, do that, do this. Right. And so <laughs> <Pray> continually. <Yeah. laughs> I, I have uh, sort of categorized these into different styles of approaches. Um, so one of them is emotional critiques. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the HSR, another would be more intellectual or Bible-based critiques. They're making, trying to make biblical arguments, uh, and then there's also a whole host of uh, the report's publication process critiques. So, oh, yeah. the the background leading up to the synodical committee that was formed to write this HSR. Um, then there's also critiques on who composes the committee, um, and so. We'll kind of run through these. Let's, let's start with 
the emotional critiques. Yeah. The first one that I've put down here is a story I've heard uh, not so much in the overtures. Another part of my influence in coming up with these approaches and thinking about these uh, these critiques has been listening to a lot of the All One Body YouTube videos. I've watched, I would say, about half of them, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, There's I, probably about 35 or so. Yeah, the, yeah. and they're all, mm, they vary in length. They're generally about 10 minutes a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also watched, there was a long form, I think an hour plus video of three different uh, pastors no. who have, I think, left the CRC who are themselves same-sex attracted. Yep. yep. Um, that was so, on the All One Body site. Yeah, too. that was, yeah. I think, the very first video they released. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of these emotional critiques really come from there. And I don't I don't want to use the word emotional to, to belittle them. I think yeah. emotions are, are valid as well. Uh, but they're not so much... Th- uh, substantive in terms of their content, they're substantive in terms of their emotional argument. So the first one yeah. would be something like, I am lesbian or gay or bisexual, transgender, and I was born and raised in the CRC, and I just still want it to be my home. It's a place where I've yeah. developed, I've been formed in my faith, and I'm still a Christian, uh, but if the HSR is accepted, then I will no longer be comfortable here in this place that I've called home my whole life. Um, We want it to be their home too. Yeah. We do. Yeah. I I think that that has to be said clearly. It's like, I I think that there would be a terrible way of responding to that by saying, oh, I guess it won't be your home anymore because because this is just what we're going to say and really you're not welcome here. No. Yeah. No, that would be a un-Christ-like demonic response actually is to say oh well then we don't want you around no we would say um like you um person who identifies in that way i must repent of my sin and Mm -hmm. war against it war against the flesh mortify the flesh um in order to uh um really function in unity with other believers uh and so Mm -hmm. um come and join us um repent of your sin like like we all are called to do yeah and um it um you know there is grace there is grace here mm-hmm. for us and for you yeah amen i think that's a really good way of responding to it the the bar of christian discipleship is the same for all people yeah. repent die to yourself follow christ um now it will feel in our in our world, like there are certain things that are harder to die die to, um, and so it will feel unfair uh, for mm. somebody in the LGBTQ community to quote unquote die to themselves and repent and to uh, trust themselves to Christ and to follow Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, but it's it is exactly the same, and I don't I don't say that lightly. Again, yeah. I I know that that sounds difficult because in our world the the plausibility structures of living as a same sex attracted person in a same sex marriage it's very real. That's a very possible thing. Yeah, three hundred right. years ago, a same sex marriage wasn't very possible. Yeah, Fifty years ago, and yeah. so even wanting to just wouldn't have been allowed, but even by society. And so it would have been something that would have been a little bit easier to say, well, I don't want that because I can't even have that anyways. But now in our in our 21st century world, that is a possibility. You yeah. can be legally married, civilly married to somebody of the same sex. Um, and so it, it is a, a even harder, heavier burden now, you could say. But 
it is absolutely true that we we do want this to be your home. Uh, we we just think that sin needs to be recognized as sin, mm. and that God's grace actually can cover over your sin and can transform you. It is possible. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of LGBTQ brothers and sisters who have repented, who are living in faithful lives of of purity, faithful lives of integrity and where joyful they are following, lives where they yeah. are following christ and yeah. is it is, is it easy no but is it joyful I, yeah. I think the the loud answer is yes uh, i have even friends in the crc who are this way yeah. um i've read plenty of stories of others who, from outside the crc who who live this way i have a very close friend who uh who's like this I, so i know that it's possible yeah uh, and it, it sound it may sound unattainable but i I say that it's not. Um, another yeah. uh, response or critique would be accepting that the HSR would be divisive and exclusive and therefore unbecoming to the inclusive gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mark, how might you respond to to this statement? Well, taking a stand is going to, to be uh, divisive, hopefully not in, an, not in an antagonistic way. But um, Jesus took stands on all mm. kinds of issues, and of course, our our greatest stand is on salvation through Christ. And so, if if you're going to say something that anything that divides is de facto wrong, you're going to mm-hmm. give up all Christian theology. Yeah. And now that sounds absurd, but it, it's actually the logical end of of that approach. And so, it's it's really a, it's not a good argument. Um, and I say it's not a good argument, not just because what I don't like it, but it's not a good argument because it doesn't play out in reality. Yeah. Um, and so, um, some somebody who's saying that the HSR is divisive, um, well, uh, it is true that as Christians we stand out from society, and we will be uh, the church. The name of the church is the called out ones. We're the those who are sanctified, those who are set apart mm-hmm. by Christ for a different way of living that will look very strange and could be accused as divisive by people who are um, sort of in the stream of uh, society, you know, mm-hmm. just sort of going with the flow of where society leads. Yeah. Um, Something I would say here, I think that's a great response. Uh, Christianity is by nature, uh, and all, all belief systems yeah. are in, at some point exclusive of others. The open and affirming view is also divisive of our yeah. view, right? And so it's, right. it's, it's, it's be hypocritical to say. I would that. say, again, I think the, the kinism thing is really interesting to me because we were so, as a denomination, so clear and concise about the, the evils of kinism. Were we being exclusive and divisive by rejecting that as heresy? Well, in some sense, yeah, absolutely. We were yeah. dividing ourselves from that from that wicked ideology. Um, and so unity isn't just, we don't just have unity for the sake of unity, as if right. unity is this de facto good. Uh, I don't, I don't want to have unity with the, the, with the devil, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we have to be, there, there, there is an exclusivity to the gospel of Christ. Uh, and I think the Gospels bear this out. Jesus talks about coming with a sword. Yeah, and he, uh, he calls the the Pharisees, "You're the you're children of the devil." Yeah, like you are whitewashed tombs. Yeah, right. Uh, and not that we go around doing that, but that that's those are examples of saying there are dividing lines. Yeah, in, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, another critique would be something like, why are we being more harsh t- against LGBTQ sins than sins like greed, racism, heterosexual lust, and so on? I think yeah. the, the best response that I could come up with to this is that we're not being harsher. I, I think that the reason we're, we're, we have written a 178-page report about this is not because we want to say that homosexuality is worse. And again, the whole right. report is not about the homosexuality. The report says specifically that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the reason that we must take it this stand is because there's actually a huge movement in our world and in our denomination saying that this activity, this lifestyle, this mode of being is good and ought to be celebrated. You do not see people in our denomination, much less in our world, going around saying that greed is a moral good and we must encourage everybody who is greedy to continue being greedy. We should all all approve this and Mm -hmm. celebrate this. Uh, There's nobody going around saying that idolatry is a is a moral good we should all be idols everybody in the church should should get the little wood carving in their house and they should bow down to it every day yeah there's nobody going around saying that stealing is a moral good so we should all practice going to the grocery store and seeing what we can get away with in our purses or in our bags uh, hmm. but there are there is a movement and let's be honest about this there there are people in our own church and in the world who are saying no, hom- actually, homosexuality and transgenderism are actually morally good and allowed according to Scripture, and therefore we must accept them. Mm. And so the reason that there is going to be such a strong response is because there is a movement to okay these things. And so it's really in- disingenuous, I think, to to say, well, why are we being harsher against them? Why are we pinpointing their sins and, and acting like greed and idolatry and stealing or whatever aren't aren't actually just as bad? And that's really not what's happening. And that is to really miss out on the full context of the story here. Yeah. I, so that, again, just rereading the question, why are we being more harsh against LGBTQ people than sins like greed, racism, heterosexual lust, et cetera? And, and my response is three words. Read the report. Yeah, <laughs> just read it. It, it. Honestly, if you just read it, you'll very clearly see. Yeah, um, a caricature of the report is that that's what it does. Right. But if people actually just go and read the report, which, by the way, they were tasked to focus on human sexuality, and so this this isn't the re- the name of the report is not a complete view of Christian ethics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the 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 name of the report is. A something along the lines of a a foundation laying biblical theology of human sexuality, mm-hmm. and so that's the nature of the report. It it, it would be a, l- a lot like listening to, um, a sermon on the fifth commandment, and then saying all they care about at th- that church is honoring your father and mother. They they act like it's the most important thing in the whole world. Yeah, it must be okay to murder people at that church. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and. Uh, that's that's a, a very silly response, and so read the report, please. Yeah. Um, and so uh, maybe another one. This is quite similar. This one's quite similar to one we've already read. Yeah, but... a- accepting the HSR will divide the denomination and hurt the CRC's unity. To that, again, I'll, I'll be, we're in the lightning round here, so I'll read from, <laughs> I'll read, uh, uh, really in Jude, it talks about the, the people who divide are those who teach falsely. Um, is there division in the CRC? Oh yeah, there is. Yeah, there, there is. It is there right now, and it is ripe. And mm-hmm. 
Um, it is present, and one needs only to look at the pastors of the CRC Facebook page to see, oh man, there is, di- there is disunity Absolutely. and division and even hatred in the CRC right now. Um, and uh, that's we, we can lament that and be sad about it, but uh, pretending that it's just not there if we don't talk about it, which is kind of one of the, the mistakes of the CRC yeah. historically, um, is not going to help. And actually, what we need to do to grow in unity is decide what we're going to be united around. And so uh, to me, that, of course, is the gospel itself. That is um, our Reformed theological heritage. And that Reformed theological heritage and the gospel itself point us right in this direction of accepting the HSR. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. Um, Lightning round continuing. Yes. Uh, Traditionalist churches, some might say, are unsafe for gay Christians. And if we care about their well-being, we must be open and affirming. Now, this danger view typically means one of two things. It It can mean on the one hand that LGBTQ Christians are physically unsafe in and mm-hmm. traditionalist churches. I have actually heard this argument. It's made in one of the more recent, actually, I think the most recent all one body video um, that people have been threatened to be beat up or physically well, abused. I haven't seen that. And that is, if, if that's happening, which I can neither confirm nor deny, but uh, if it's happening, that's absolutely wrong. Uh, as Mark said earlier, we want this to be their home. We want these people to be loved and cared for uh, very, very deeply. And so that is sinful and wicked and demonic and disgusting yeah. if that's happening. The other way that this is mentioned, that this unsafeness, this unsafe environment, is that uh, traditionalist churches in rejecting the morality of LGBTQ uh, lifestyles basically make it a psychologically unsafe place, such to the extent that LGBTQ believers find themselves tempted towards uh, suicide or self-harm. And so this is the more common of Mm. the the ways that this argument gets made Mm -hmm. is that by being, by rejecting the morality of it, traditionalist churches are making an unsafe environment. Um, I've seen this quite a bit. It's Mm. actually something that I think Mary Holst even kind of, uh, mentions maybe i'm getting a little too edgy naming names (laughs) but she talks about how and this is this is just generally said a lot Mm -hmm. transgender people christians included uh are much more likely to commit suicide than others and so this must mean that uh it's the fault of those who reject this lifestyle uh yeah it's that social pressure that causes that self-loathing yes and so while I am really sympathetic to the plight of anybody who feels suicidal, and I absolutely think that that is tragic and horrific, and I want to see that person be cared for and loved, um, I, I don't think we can place the blame for uh, such psychological things solely at the feet of those who reject it. Yeah. Um, and that's just a fact, actually, that people who undergo right. the transition surgery, who they undergo oh, the whole process, are still just as likely, mm-hmm. statistically, to be tempted towards a suicidal direction. And so um, 
the the argument that being opposed to say transitioning is causing people to be suicidal is, is just factually not true because that 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 sad reality continues after the right. supposed prescription has been followed through on yeah and so uh, to, to me that that goes to show that it, it isn't now could it yeah, be, it has less to do with people other people's responses or feelings yeah. towards them and more to do with something this in their, in their own mind, yeah. state of being right and, and so that isn't to blame the victim be, oh, no. because uh, maybe along with this point we do want to recognize there are untactful harsh ways of talking about these things that can cause a self-loathing like like um and and this would probably be more the temptation for a community like ours like ripon california Mm -hmm. where um there are very pretty much strict gender stereotypes that people are called to fit into and so if 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 i am an artsy guy and i like ballet Mm -hmm. um I like uh, certain things that, uh, you know, flower arranging or whatever, right? There's certain yeah. things that would be deemed um, feminine. Um, then uh, I, I could be ashamed, actually, mm-hmm. of very ashamed of that um, yeah. if, if, uh, if I'm in this community. And so um, we, we do want to be sensitive to that. That is also evil, I would say, uh, mm-hmm. is, is to um, delineate too strictly what the, the gender interests should be and shame people for falling outside of those mm-hmm. those criteria, um, and so there there is some truth to that claim that that there could be social pressure that causes self loathing. Yeah. Um, however, uh, the response is a Christian response. It isn't the worldly response to say then you need to transition. Mm-hmm. The, the response should be, God made you fearfully and wonderfully. He made you a girl or a boy or for somebody who is dealing with an intersex issue, we can try to discover what that might mean for them, for that 0.015% of the population that mm-hmm. that describes. We can come alongside them and try to work with them on on what that means for them to be yeah. born in the way that they were, um, with chromosomal abnormalities, mm-hmm. you would say. But for, for uh, especially for the, the common situation where you have a boy Mm-hmm. or a little girl who is born very clearly male or female and says no I'm a I'm a female trapped in a man's body it's it's really for those people who we want to say no God made you how he wanted to and let's help you live into that and trust Christ um, mm-hmm. die to yourself in a lot of ways profound ways um, but also be glad about who God made you to be yeah that is, I think, how we ought to go about it. And so we, we we absolutely want people to be healthy. And the fact that people are hurting to such a degree that they're feeling suicidal, that means something. And that's a grave situation. And as Christians, we shouldn't not want to, in that moment, heap on more yeah, hurt. Yeah. We should actually just be concerned about somebody's life. Yeah, and we don't want to just say, get over it. We want to come alongside. Yeah, yeah. but the, the whole argument as it's used, especially by people who aren't transgender, or who aren't gay, but are, you could say, allies, uh, they use this argument in favor of their position, mm. thinking that the more we affirm, the safer they'll, they will be. Uh, I don't think the argument actually works as a principle. And the, I could sit, come up with a sort of an alternative theory, and I'll try to keep this short because I know we're lacking on time, but... Let's say somebody identifies, like their personal identity 
is a thief and thieving is their identity. And the world is not really fond of, of thieving, as we know. It's not, you're not going to go to any, any shop in, in the United States, and, and if you just openly steal something, people are not going to clap and celebrate for you. Our world doesn't like doesn't Although like that's Robert. starting to change a little bit, where <laughs> yeah. um, uh, um, that's true. Um, stealing is not as socially... Uh, uh, it's not going to be... Uh, yeah. In certain cities, it's not going to be cracked <laughs> down prosecuted, on. Prosecuted, yeah. Um, but... And so let's say, well, like I'm a thief. I, I, I just can't help it. You know, the way that I've always been ever since I was like a three-year-old child, I remember just stealing things and having this deep compulsion to steal. This is just who I am. And I've tried to change, but it won't change. Um, but the fact that the world around me is, is not accepting and affirming of my, my thievery really makes me hate myself and loathe myself. Mm-hmm. And though I cannot change, uh, I'm just going to keep doing it anyways the the world has made me feel suicidal. I, I really feel like maybe I should just take my life. And I don't speak about this lightly. I know it might sound like I am, but I'm uh, I'm just trying to make this point. So the world should come around and, and affirm my thieving. It should affirm my my desire to rob people, um, or else it's being unloving toward yeah. me, and I'm going to commit suicide. That guilt is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this. This, that, that would not be a legitimate way of arguing for the morality of theft. Um, and so I, I, think it, I think that holds up in yeah. thinking about the, all the issues of LGBTQ stuff. And particularly uh, with the trans issue, it's a matter of truth-telling. And so yeah. Um, yeah. X, XX chromosome, XY chromosome determines sex biological yeah. sex and so we have words for those male and female and mm-hmm. that is um telling the truth yeah and so um if if somebody says no i you know i'm transitioning uh it is lying mm-hmm. to confirm that now uh will participating in that lie help somebody to feel better it, it could for it could seem to, I would say, yeah. for a time, um, but actually, uh, again, you you can do this in probably some creative ways. Maybe call somebody by the name that they would prefer to be called. I don't think that that's necessarily a lying, right? But um, but to recognize that somebody who was born a girl is now a man is to lie, yeah. And because that's an impossible, a physical impossibility. And so in situations with, with people like this, as far as we're able, we are to live as, at peace with them, but we right. should hopefully try to have a conversation with them to say, hey, I, I respect your your uh, convictions on the that you feel as though you are a different uh, gender than the biological sex you were born with. Uh, and I don't want to just dismiss that or make light of that. Mm-hmm. And so I recognize that that's a conviction and you, you would like for people to call you by a preferred pronoun. Uh, I hope you can recognize my, my convictions as well, that I, I don't feel like I'm at freedom, at liberty to do that. Yeah. Um, now somebody will say, nope, absolutely don't want you to be, to be my friend. I don't want you to be in my life because of that. And I would say, well, we could keep, keep trying to live at peace with this person. That's what our, our calling is. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that we need to... Uh, to compromise on our our, right. our own convictions, but we can do so lovingly. We don't need to be to be 
prideful or arrogant um, or bullies to people like this and double down and make sure we call them by their biological pronouns right, yeah, even like more. Find ways to, uh, yeah. That's not how we ought to go about it, but. Yeah, I have, I have a friend. One of my best friends is a CEO in Vancouver, right? one of the most uh, socially liberal cities in North America. And this is an issue that he faces. Uh, yeah. Uh, a guy comes into work uh, on, on certain days, decides he is feeling more feminine. And mm-hmm. so... Um, so it changes day by day. So we well, I, I don't know if it's day by day, but there there are... like it, 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 Yeah. Um, and so um, that that's a reality for him that he lives yeah. in. And so as a Christian, yeah, we, we were talking about it and um, what do I do about this? And, and I'm, I guess my suggestion was you, you recognize the name that somebody wants to be called. I don't think that there's anything binding yeah. scripturally. I mean, there are changing names in, in the Bible even. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean, I don't th- I think it should be done haphazardly, but at the same time, um, if somebody wants to change a name um, for a, a reasonable a reason um mm-hmm. then, then you, know, you honor it and and that's how they're expressing themselves um and so i i my suggestion though was was that I, I don't think that you can consider that a man has is now a woman mm-hmm. and and to find creative ways to uh, navigate that is complicated i guess that part of the yeah. response that we would want to give is we don't just want to be overly harsh but we don't want to be mindlessly accommodating either and which could lead into a profession of falsehood so mm-hmm. um we are way over time from our normal <laughs> length here at this point but uh yeah maybe we could do some of these um, next week i, I think know. uh I, maybe in wrapping up i would say some arguments are uh easily dismissed i would say um i think actually right. the, the yeah. confessional counter argument is quite easily dismissed. I actually think that that's kind of a slam dunk in terms mm. of the historic teaching of the church, yeah. um, the understanding of the church throughout the ages on this issue, of, of um, particularly of homosexuality, um, and the, the need to have a confessional understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually quite basic. Um, we have a confessional understanding of baptism. We have a mm-hmm. confessional understanding of um, polity, yeah. And the Bible is clearer about the issue of homosexuality than it is certainly about church polity. I mean that. I would agree with that. That, that is, I, I don't even think you could possibly disagree with that. Actually, that there is, <laughs> there are more passages in the scriptures on um, marriage and what that is, a, a man and a woman, yeah. um, and explicitly six passages on this issue. Whereas we have a confessional understanding of polity, and that's based on an interpretation of what it means to be a pastor, an elder, and a deacon, mm-hmm. and how that relates from one church to another. It's 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 pretty interpretive, I would yeah. say. Um, now I I agree with it and I believe in it, but we have a confessional position on that. We also should on this matter as well. Yeah, maybe we, we could just fly through. Maybe okay. give like a one sentence response. <laughs> I do want to get to yeah. these. Okay, People maybe yeah. are wondering. Yeah, we don't want to dodge anything here. We're not dodging. <laughs> so we could look at intellectual and Bible-based critiques. Okay. One of these might be, the Bible knows nothing of covenantal, lifelong, monogamous, same-sex marriages. So it's not, It's the Bible does not condemn hmm. modern um, same-sex marriages. Uh, it does not it knows nothing also of transgenderism, so it doesn't condemn it. Yeah. So these are things that are open to 
interpretation. Yeah, uh, Preston uh, Sprinkle has a good response to that, um, and I would suggest people read his response where um, actually same-sex marriage was a thing in Roman culture. Yeah. Um, there, um, I know that uh, one emperor, I think it was Nero, married his horse, um, and uh, that there there were crazy ideas about who could be married in ancient culture. Hmm. And so just saying this is something that just came up is actually um, dis- disregarding the historical context that the Apostle Paul wrote in. Yeah, and we could also say that the Bible maybe knows nothing of monogamous same-sex marriages. I don't think that's true, but even if it didn't, I think it still speaks with enough clarity and, yeah. and truth that it does outlaw that, prohibit that. Um, and it talks a lot about what marriage really is. So giving us right. a positive definition of marriage sure. helps. With the nature of marriage, especially sexual consummation, procreation, you know. Yeah. yeah. And similarly, the next another argument might be, well, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. Yeah. First, we can't say Jesus, give, we can't read the red letters with any more seriousness than we read the rest of scriptures. So it doesn't actually mean one thing either way that Jesus doesn't mention verbatim the word homosexuality or uh, homosexualism yeah and so and but jesus does, does talk about in matthew 19 it does talk about marriage and what that is to be uh between a man and a woman yeah uh, another one might be we've mistranslated the new testament word for homosexuality the new testament actually just forbids exploitative man boy sexual activity this is yeah. something that's going to be coming out it's a documentary 1946 is what it's called um, how a mistranslation uh, yeah. really ruined everything. I don't know the exact subtitle. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, again, here, this is one way of saying, well, if we look at the New Testament words, particularly 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, what it's outlawing here, this, our, this word, arsenikoites, uh, is outlawing exploitative or um, you could say almost yeah. like non-consensual man-child sexual acts. Uh, and the reason, however, and there's a lot that we could get into with the translation issues here at play, but I think it's still, the, the reason it's condemned, even if it's just man-boy, is that it's against nature. God has created our bodies mm-hmm. for certain uses. Um, and so, speaking of sexual organs, our sexual organs are created with a purpose and they yeah. speak to God's design. Yeah. Uh, and so even if it is just about man-boy sexual activity, and I'm not convinced that it is, mm-hmm. uh, the reason that it's wrong is because of that design issue. And that isn't the only verse in the Bible about this. <laughs> right. right. And it's, so it's you not. have Leviticus and Romans too, which yeah. actually describe the situation, you know, man yeah. lays down with man as as with a woman, you know, so, so forth. And yeah. so th- there's a description of the activity there. Yes. And, and if this were the only verse, it's possible it could be, yeah. I don't think it is, but it's it's possible someone could twist it into, oh boy, that's not as clear as we think. But mm-hmm. you have the other five passages that actually describe what the situation is, and you know, yeah, it's, um, exactly. Yeah, there's there's more scripture than just that that one verse. It's re- it really does come down to First Corinthians sixteen. I've seen the trailer for the movie. The movie's not out yet. Um, another one might be we can ag- agree to disagree on the yeah. issue of LGBTQ this in the same big. way that Christians disagree about baptism or women's ordination. This is actually a really big one yep. uh, that might need a little bit more than just a two-second response. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say absolutely not. It's not on the same level. Uh, the Bible does not condemn a wrong position of baptism. Uh, in fact, the I could see that the Bible uh, isn't 
it is not exactly literal in how we ought to or who we ought to baptize. The Bible does not have a verse mm-hmm. that tells us you must baptize babies or you must not baptize babies. Yeah. Uh, women's ordination is also different. I think the Bible is quite clear that women ought not be ordained. And yes, that's a that's a tough thing to say in today's day mm-hmm. and age in our denomination where women's ordination is allowed, uh, depending on the classes. Uh, but we recognize there is enough biblical support for that position to have disagreement within a denomination. Yes. That's why we're members of the CRC. And it's not inherently wrong for a woman to do ministry. Yeah, yeah. You could say you could maybe say ministry with the cap or with a lowercase m in in some sense. Women are absolutely supposed to <laughs> and are called to do ministry in the church yeah. and in the world. Um, and baptism is something that's absolutely supposed to be happening. Uh, and so, how we disagree on these things is is different. It's it's a totally different level of of error to say that something that is explicitly mentioned as sin by Scripture and actually said that those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of heaven, as First Corinthians mm-hmm. six does speak of. Um, that puts it on a very different plane than women's ordination or baptism. Uh, and yeah. so, while the HSR is not necessarily talking about the gospel and articulating what the gospel is when we start to deny uh, what the scriptures say about sin and say that certain things that are sinful and that threaten our salvation are actually okay then we get into very Mm -hmm. uh, different kinds of waters than we do when we're talking about uh, who should be a recipient of baptism or who can be ordained yeah so it is very very different in, in addition to what you've said, which is a great response, um, I would say make the case then from Scripture that this is a good thing. Yeah. So uh, don't just say because we have differing opinions on baptism than Baptists do or because we have differing opinions on women's ordination within our denomination that we can do that here too mm-hmm. because then all of it, you're not making the case actually that this is a debatable matter. You're yeah. just saying there are debatable matters, and we think this is one. Mm-hmm. And, and you're actually not making a case that it is one. You're just saying we think it belongs in that category. Almost, um, honestly, uh, almost out of the air. Or, well, it, it's because of the push of culture, basically, that, mm-hmm. that this is supposed to become a debatable matter. Um, instead of make the case from Scripture like uh, a lot of people did during the women's ordination debates of the 90s, make the case there, and the denomination decided that it was a debatable matter and so opened mm-hmm. it up from to a congregational decision-making process. Um, that's not actually what's happening here in this conversation. They're not yeah. making the case from Scripture that it's debatable. They're just saying, since we have this other debatable thing, we think this one is too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have yet to hear a biblical argument in favor of same-sex marriage, same-sex um, activity. Being elevated Be- from being <clears throat> outlawed or restricted to yeah. being, quote-unquote, debatable. A good, or even a good thing, right? Yeah. You have to say that the Bible can call it a good thing. Mm-hmm. 
in order for and it to be debatable. There's and really so, no exception. Yeah, the Bible you, you is, can't find it there. Is very very clear. Yeah. And then we could go into committee critiques. There's different critiques of how this whole thing came about. We yeah. can say that there is no LGBTQ representation on the committee. This is false. Yeah. There is Again, a number, read the report um, of the yeah. Read the report. It's talked mm-hmm. about at the beginning of the report. Um, we could say that there was no opening and affirming members on the committee. Uh, that that is true. Mm-hmm. People who joined this committee were in agreement with the 1973 report, which uh, condemned same-sex activity, into sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason for this is that there was a 2013 report. We talked about this last uh, last week. There's a 2013 Senate who put together a committee to to talk about these issues, and that committee was not in agreement with the 1973, and it actually ended up being rejected by the yeah. 2016. It, it wasn't Senate. opposed to the 73 report, but it it definitely did not give advice that was in keeping with the 73 report. Yeah. I would say, yeah, and yeah. so it, it was. It sounds like it was strongly rejected. I don't yeah, know the numbers on the vote. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but that's when 2016 Senate 2016 who rejected that report then said we need to appoint a committee that actually does stand in line with the 1973. Yeah. You may still quibble with that, and I think there, I, I could understand that. But having a little bit of that historical background helps and explain the story. Yeah. It wasn't like it was just strong-armed by the denomination. Yeah, and uh, another, um, another uh, counter-argument that the, the committee did not consult sufficiently with LGBTQ plus persons. Um, they commi- they which officially consulted, I've heard, with four. Sure. Inter- they had four interactions with LGBTQ members of the CRC uh, through meeting with them. They also, yeah. they do have lots of reports or stories written in that are included in the report. Yeah. And and maybe maybe as a very, very quick aside, uh, I, I generally object to the using of the LGBTQ plus alphabet soup. It's a worldly way yeah, of understanding so people and categorizing people. And so I think it's tremendously unfortunate, actually, that the Christian Reformed Church is even using that terminology, Yeah, um, that's a- <laughs> p- particularly the, the B. We think of the bisexual group and, and mm-hmm. how that, that it just does not fit at all. Mm-hmm. Um, really, even trans as opposed to a gay or lesbian. It's like th- these are all different people with different issues, and lumping mm-hmm. them all together, to me— actually is just a short code for um, sexual libertinism. Yeah. Basically saying there there should be no rules concerning sexual mores. In his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self yeah. by Carl Truman, he actually goes through the history and how early on in the 60s and 70s, these groups all were very disparate and really didn't like each other. They yeah. were actually, uh, there was a lot of contention between these groups, but it was, wasn't until really... Um, after the 80s and 90s, particularly the AIDS crisis, that these groups saw that unifying could actually bring their movement political success. Yeah, and so it, that's a side to the issue, I guess. But I, I do just want to say that maybe for mm-hmm. the record, you might say is that yep. th- this term LGBTQ plus is is not a Christian. Like it says in First Corinthians, we regard no one any longer from a worldly point of view, mm-hmm. and so that is a worldly label put on a very diverse group of people. Um, oh, and yeah. I think it actually does an injustice to the people who are who are um, in this supposed category. But anyways, yeah. um, so they did not <laughs> consult point. sufficiently with uh, people of this group. Um, and 
the response would be, well, what would be enough consulting? I, I find this to be actually one of the very weakest arguments against the HSR because we live saturated in a culture. It's Pride Month right now. While we've been recording this, I got an email that popped up on my screen from Chipotle mm-hmm. about how they're celebrating Pride Month right now. Yep. Right? And so um, it's everywhere. My family goes to Disney World. We're, we're, we're Disney fans. We are saturated by mm-hmm. the goodness supposed goodness of almost every tv show of relationships and identity and trans and and so um is it is it true that there would be some people that they have not met in the crc and consulted with them of of course that's going to be true (laughs) they couldn't meet with everyone yeah um but to say that delegates are going to be just walking in blind to this conversation not really knowing the Mm -hmm. the virtues of this lifestyle is is actually uh it's really a red herring argument it it, it yeah. it's it's meant to really distract more than to actually get to the substance of the discussion and let's be honest the the hope for for having them meet with more of these people is that they will now they will begin to feel compelled to be more open and affirming um Right. If you if you hear more of their yeah. stories, their life, the difficulties, the struggles yep. that they've gone through, you will be predisposed to agreeing with them more and more. Yeah, but um, that's a new mythology that speaks to experience determines our truth instead of scripture. It, it's it's fascinating that these yeah. people aren't saying you need to read the Bible more, man. And once you read the Bible more, you'll see that this is a really good thing. No, it, yeah. they're saying they need they're they're revealing their new mythology and saying. The more I experience, the more I will change my mind on something. It's actually yeah, a rejection yeah. of sola scriptura at its core. Yeah, it's like the what's the, the Methodist way of doing of doing theology. It's scripture, tradition, uh, philosophy, which is that's basically the Reformed approach, and then fourthly, experience. But it's reversing it all and putting experience really yep. at the forefront. It's foregrounding experience and the theological process yeah okay fifth and final you could say uh, committee critique would be that they didn't present the best of both sides of the debate they yeah. only criticized the open and affirming view uh, again i would just say read the report i think the report actually does do a lot of interaction with some of the best scholars who yep. have advocated yep. for being open and affirming uh, particularly brownson from western theological seminary mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of like the the I don't know it's probably the biggest and most important book uh, from an open and affirming standpoint arguing from scripture and a On lot the of the report definitely in the reform circles it yeah, would be uh, the report does use that book a lot and others it uses various uh, Catholic Jesuits um, hmm. and other Protestant theologians who are more open and affirming and it looks at their views and it tries to assess them and also the report has a lot of stories of people in the CRC. Uh, who are LGBTQ to use that terminology? Uh, Somewhere in there, yeah. And so they they are in there, dispersed throughout the report. Yeah. Um, other approaches. Wrapping up now, we've gone through this lightning yeah. round. <laughs> There's the kick the can down the down the road approach. Uh, we need a, we need more time to discern God's will. Um, interestingly, these people are the same people who say God's word is not clear here, but we need more time to discern His unclear word. Um, it seems like these people just. Yeah. don't want to take a position and i can't help but think that maybe there's a little bit of disingenuity just ingenuity disingenuity yeah. Yeah. i don't i don't know the disingenuousness? word disingenuousness there, there, there we go <laughs> disingenuousness yeah um 
man, I sound like an idiot sometimes. Uh, <laughs> We're going to at certain points. We're <laughs> talking so much here. Yeah. And so Both of them. <laughs> I think that this, seem, this sounds a little bit like if we take the slow approach, eventually our denomination will, uh, the numbers will grow on being open and affirming and we'll be able to eventually take a vote in our, in our, at a synodical meeting that mm-hmm. says that being open and affirming is the way to go. And so if we just slow, slow, slowly go about it, then that may happen. Again, I think at this yeah. point, everybody has an opinion. We do not need more time to discern the will of God uh, on this. I, I don't think we're, there's going to be a whole lot of more people who are switching their opinions. Yeah. Um, and it's, so we've had 50 years plus as a denomination to think this through. This goes back to at least 1970. Don't think that another couple of years is going to make all that big of a difference um, and not taking a position is taking a position and so something needs yeah. to be done here it's, it's like mom and dad saying um hey we're, we think we're going to get divorced kids but we're just gonna we're gonna wait 10 years and we're, we're gonna live yeah. under this cloud yeah. of mom and dad might get divorced <laughs> um but uh and it'll it'll probably happen someday but we're just going to live in this cloud for a little while, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. What we need to do as a church is get serious about purity, holiness, gospel preaching. We need to move forward. We'll take a stand on this so that we can yeah. move forward with ministering to all kinds of different people instead of allowing it to be oh kicked down two years. Oh, we're going to talk about it again in two years, yeah. and mm-hmm. then oh, that hasn't been enough time again in two years. We've had enough time. Um, definitely since 2016 when same-sex marriage was legalized in this country. 2015. Um, 2015, sorry, when the Obergefell decision came. And um, we, we have had time. And so and, and not and only that, but we've also had time to see what's happened in other denominations which have yeah. crumbled and have not proclaimed the gospel with the same enthusiasm, yeah. um, the gospel itself. Um, and so that, that gets to the final thing that I want to bring up, which is the argument that, I know lots of people who love Jesus who differ on this matter, um, yeah. to which I, I just want to respond with Jude um, chapter, well, there's only one chapter of Jude, so Jude verse 4, um, that describes people who change the grace of God into a license for immorality, and so that's what we believe is happening concerning here. They're saying God is gracious. Um, there are even some who, who say openly, on this matter, I, I could get it wrong, and I don't think God is going to meet me at the pearly gates and say, you got that one wrong, but yeah. uh, I'm just going to let you in anyways, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Uh, they, they're basically openly saying the grace of God is a license for immorality. Yeah. They're, they're saying that in their argument. What do they do, according to Jude? In doing so, they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And actually, Jude is referring to that in the context of sexual immorality, even. And hmm. so, um, and so, that is it a gospel issue? Is it the gospel itself? No, it's not the gospel itself that we're debating here. Which is the gospel itself is that Christ saves sinners through His death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a, a side door into um, a, a gospel issue, which basically says um, it doesn't really matter, and we can disagree on this behavior yeah. um, that the Bible, we condemns. think, clearly condemns, that then says it is an issue with gospel implications. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not the gospel itself that is de- being debated here. Yeah, the, go- the good um, news is not 
that you ought to be a heterosexual right but cisgendered person but when we talk about holiness then we are talking about gospel issues yeah and so um uh, we we are certainly contending that that there are godless men. Grace restores nature. Yep, who are ch- who are changing the grace of God into a license for immorality and denying Jesus Christ in doing so. That's yeah. That's what we believe is happening according to Jude and really the teaching of the whole Bible. And so it makes this high stakes. Yeah, right. And we can be honest about confessional that. at least. And I yeah. think everybody on all sides of this is recognizing that. Yeah, this is high stakes, mm-hmm. and there's this is going to be a really big decision that is made here in about a week and a half uh, by our synodical delegates, and so it's it's time to pray. It's mm-hmm. time for us to be on our knees as a denomination, uh, seeking the Lord's face, seeking His goodness, uh, begging Him that He would enable us to stand true to Him, mm-hmm. and that His will would be done. Uh, in our church, in our denomination, uh, and in our world. Yeah. And so it's in that spirit that we'll finish out this episode. Uh, we thank you for listening. We ask you to pray. Mm-hmm. I, I ask you to pray for me as mm-hmm. I go, uh, that the Lord would sustain me uh, day by day. It's going to be difficult, I know, but with him, I can do it, yeah. I know. Yeah. And so be in prayer. Be in prayer for me and for all the delegates who will be going. And we will be, hopefully, Lord willing, with you next week or yeah. the week after. <laughs> yeah. All right. All Grace right. and peace, you guys. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs>